All right, let's uh, get our Bibles now and let's uh, turn to the book of Hebrews, if you would please, the book of Hebrews. And um, Regina is going to come and she's going to read um, this one verse of scripture, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Let's stand together. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and, su and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of being here this morning. Lord, the opportunity of of worshiping together, Lord, of praising you, and now, Lord, of spending time being strengthened by you through our time in the Word. Would you allow me as your messenger simply to reflect your truth? Lord, would you ultimately be glorified in how you are fashioning and shaping your church here um, in Castro Valley, Lord, to, to, to do what you've called us to do? And Lord, help us to, um, to lean on you right now, Lord, even with this difficult passage of Scripture and what it calls for. And uh, Lord, give us a, a real vision, Lord, of what you desire for our church to be like. We ask in your precious holy name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, as some of you know, because um, you've been here for a number of weeks and you're part of our church, we are going through this process of considering what scriptures say as it relates to church leadership and the establishment of that church leadership. And um, uh, we are at a place right now where we've looked at the qualifications for an elder. We looked at the responsibilities for an elder. We've actually talked about the need for a plurality of that eldership. Um, we've recognized that Jesus is the greatest example of, of a shepherd that there ever was. And um, we recognize that his sheep need guidance and, and leadership. So all these realities are true. Um, our time today, though, is going to be spent around considering the relationship between the shepherds called by God and their sheep, and in particular, the responsibilities of the sheep um, toward their shepherds. Now, I am sure that as we read this verse, there are some words that come up in this verse that kind of don't necessarily settle too well at the beginning. And probably um, one of the obstacles that we face at the outset here is the fact that many, if not most of us, have either been a part of a church where a leadership has acted harshly, um, biblically, or improperly in some significant way um, that has resulted in many sheep being confused, discouraged, abandoning the fold, and possibly even wandering away from the church altogether. Or we've rubbed shoulders with other people who have gone through those experiences themselves and have struggled with this, this abusive kind of um, leadership and improper um, kind of leadership and so we might end up here being a little skeptical. We might actually even be a little cynical as it relates to the subject of the authority of leadership in the church and the relationship of the sheep to that authority. And let me illustrate it a couple of ways. And these come from my own personal um, life or experience. Uh, one of them has to do with my father. My father, when he retired from British Airways, um, moved to Michigan and took up our family, of course. That's when I came to the States from England. And he moved to Michigan because he was called to be a pastor in a church there in, in the, the town of Clarkston. And he ministered there for about three or four years. 
and he invited one of his pastor friends from England to come over to the United States and to minister in his church. Now, a little, little segue here. My father and, and my family and my heritage has been in the realm of the charismatic stream of churches. Um, when my parents were, were growing up in, in India, they were a part of a Pentecostal charismatic kind of movement. And so that's been kind of the heritage in my family. So the church that my dad was pastoring was a charismatic church. And his friend that he was inviting to come over and to speak in his church um, considered himself to be an apostle. And many in the charismatic church, that's, that's one of the things they recognize. They, they identify certain people to be apostles. Well, he came and he got up to speak on a Sunday morning in my dad's church, and this is what he said. He kind of recounted to the people that the night before, God had spoken to him, and this is what he needed to say to the church family. Um, that God... Um, was telling him to say to the congregation that the days of Aubrey Phillips, that's my father, being pastor at New Hope Bible Church were coming to an end. And that one statement caused a lot of anger among the people, division in the church, and ultimately led to my father's resignation. This self-made apostle spoke with authority as if God had spoken to him with this reality. Now, friends, I, I don't find any foundation for that to be true in the contemporary church because the apostles died out, okay? The office of apostleship is no longer in, in place. But the, the audacity to, to get up and to stand before a congregation and say, you know what, um, this guy is not going to be your pastor anymore. Who determines that? Well, God told me last night. Oh, okay. okay. And, and, and that's one kind of, I would say, extreme. Now, I, when I was pastoring in Michigan, I, I took a little church that had struggled in the context of a, I want to say, a much more conservative church, a larger church in the Midwest. There's a lot of churches that are like this. It's kind of an independent Baptist church, and they're very evangelistic. They push like bus ministry, um, real heavy, that kind of a kind of a thrust. And and in that particular church, these people ended up leaving that church. And over the course of my ministry with them things came out in counseling about things that were taking place in that church and what was going on. And, and to kind of summarize it, one illustration is one of the people's spouses had committed adultery, not once but many times. And this person was a, an adult Sunday school teacher in that church. And when they were confronted and when they were, the leadership was approached and asked questions about that particular individual, the response from that leadership was this. If we removed him from his position of leadership, it would cause a scandal for our church. So for the sake of the ministry, and I put that in quotes, he is still serving in leadership, teaching an adult Bible class. For the sake of the ministry, we're not going to deal with the sin that is before us because we don't want a scandal in the church. And the answer to that is, there's already a scandal in the church. And the greater scandal is the fact that you're not willing to do anything about it and confront him and lovingly care for the flock in that way. So those are just two examples of maybe why when we come to church leadership and the subject of church leadership and how the, the sheep relate to that leadership, we can be a little bit cynical and we can be a little skeptical. And you can just look across 
American Christianity, and there's lots of really bad examples out there, right? But you know what? You don't hear about all the good examples. I mean, you don't hear that on CNN or on the news, that this church and their leadership are honoring God, and they're solid, and they're caring for their people. You hear the negative stuff. And friends, we've got to be careful that we don't allow our cynicism to create a paradigm that is unbiblical, that we're not willing to look at what God says in his word. So we come now to Hebrews 13, 17, and it begins here by saying, obey your leaders and submit to them. You're like, "Ah, what? Obey and submit? You mean if they're just to speak and tell us to do something, we're to obey? All right, that's a good question. And I think we need to process through this passage to find out exactly what is being said. But friends, I want to say this loud and clear. Even if there are churches all over the USA who have sinful and abusive leaders that are called elders, deacons, pastors, or whatever they're called, that doesn't mean that we run away from being eager to honor God with what he says in his word. There are hundreds of cults and religions that misuse and abuse God's word, but we don't then say, well, since the the word of God is abused and misused in those cults and those other religions, we're going to abandon God's word. No, we're going to say, we're going to study God's word as it says, and make sure that we are using it in a way that honors God. And so in the same sense, we want to come to the subject of eldership, but also come to the subject of how the church members relate to that eldership and say, there's got to be a right way to do this. Because God wouldn't have spoken to it if that wasn't true. And if God says here, obey and submit, there's got to be something to that that he wants us to recognize. And we can't run away from it, even though there have been abusive situations. Okay, so we want to be careful here that we're not just saying, okay, I'll put up with this, but I'm not really going to obey and I'm not going to submit. Well, I want you to just encourage you to hear the word of the Lord this morning and allow our time to flesh out a helpful paradigm and a helpful understanding of what's going on. So the question for us this morning is, what are the responsibilities of the sheep to their shepherds? What does the Word of God teach us regarding how the sheep are to relate to their shepherds? How are the members of the church to relate to their elders, to say it that way? Let's look again at Hebrews 13 and 17. Let's read it one more time. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, the writer of Hebrews is addressing a Jewish audience. I realize that's an obvious statement. But it's an obvious statement that has incredible implications. Because the Jews were very aware of the ways in which their leadership in their history either followed God or abandoned him as well as how the people had listened to God's leaders, shepherds, prophets, as well as how they had turned against them. This is how the book of Nehemiah records the Jews. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 9, if you would, please. It's worth us seeing this. Nehemiah chapter 9, and verse 26. We'll begin there. Here is what is recorded in this 
the song of, of, that kind of goes through the history of the Israelites in Nehemiah 9. Verse 26, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. So the prophets were doing what was honoring God, but the people would not listen. And the people would not submit. And so they were not obedient and submissive to their shepherds at that point in time. So God has instituted positions of leadership also within the New Testament church. And he is greatly concerned that they be recognized and maintained in a manner uh, he, that he has prescribed in Scripture. And so that's what we're seeking to do here at Gateway is to establish a biblical, that's why we say biblical, a biblical eldership, not just an eldership but an eldership that conforms to the teaching of Scripture and is submissive to the teaching of Scripture. So God is also, um, has also greatly concerned that the members of any particular local church understand and live out what the biblical principles say about their relationship to those leaders. Now, I already gave you a couple of examples, but let's just kind of highlight two extremes as it relates to the leadership here. Two extremes. Number one um, would be this. This, this cynical attitude, um, the skepticism leads us to a place where we just want to deny any need for authority in the church. There's no authority. Now, some of that is the spirit of the age, isn't it? We don't want any authority telling us what we should or shouldn't do. And how dare you tell me, you know, that I should do something. In fact, you're abusive if you do that. You're arrogant if you do that, right? So this is when the authority is abdicated ultimately by those who would then be in church leadership. In this kind of a context, the church leadership says, you know, the people in the church don't want authority, so we'll have a, a board, but that board really isn't going to be an authoritative board. The board is going to be more functional. We're just going to make sure that things are done, but we're not going to speak with authority to the congregation about specific things that are taking place. And so it results in, um, um, it results in a cowardly church office of leader, whatever you want to call it, um, that refuses to exercise biblical oversight. They're simply leaders who make decisions for the church. Okay? That's the, the, the leadership responsibility to this, or reaction, I should say, to this idea of no authority. The second one would be the other extreme, and that would be um, enslaving authority. An abusive, enslaving authoritarianism that would cripple the body of Christ. And this is when leadership seeks to gain control of their flock. Have you ever interacted with someone that's in a church and you're just like, wow, that's, that seems really controlling. For example, if, if maybe for, for work, you know, you're working for a company and they want you to, to move from the Bay Area and you want you to move maybe to San Antonio or maybe Atlanta or something like that, and you, you go to the church and the leadership says, you can't move. What do you mean I can't move? No. You have committed to being a part of this church family. But what do you think about that? And there are churches that actually believe that. There are churches that practice that. Now, one of the, one of the great things that we want to be about, and we've actually had the opportunity to model this somewhat, we'll still have the opportunity to model this, and that is we want to make sure that when people come to Gateway Bible Church, that we are welcoming them 
and we are inviting them and we're bringing them into the fold in a way that honors God, right? But we also want to recognize that God does move people around. And we want to recognize that that God can be glorified in that, and so we want to make sure that if people leave, that there's a right way to leave, and there's a way that the church can surround that person or that couple or that family as they move to a new adventure, to a new life, and a new context. And part of that then is saying, hey, we want to pray about the church that you're going to go to and help us talk to you about what that church would look like, that it would be like-minded and all that kind of stuff. And the other weekend when we had that little gathering time with Austin was a wonderful picture of what it looks like for a church that has experienced the joy of having someone present with them um, know the comfort and the concern of that church as they are moved by God to a different location in the country. It's a great example. You guys did a great job with that, all right? So there's, there's a need for us to be, to be mindful about how we move people, but we don't want to be this enslaving, authoritarian kind of a church. So the writer to the Hebrews spills um, his ink in chapter 13, verse 17, um, and, and he's, he wants to say to us now two things, and this is the, 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 the focal point of what we're going to be looking at today. He wants the sheep to embrace their elders in their God-given authority. So embracing their authority. Secondly, he wants them, the sheep, to encourage their elders in their God-given ministry. He wants them to encourage their ministry. And so there's a responsibility put on the sheep now to act and to think and to behave in a way that would glorify God and would accomplish his purposes here that are revealed in this particular passage of Scripture. So let's think first of all now about embracing their authority. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. So how do you embrace their authority? First of all, you do it through your obedience. Through your obedience. Isn't that not what it says? Obey your leaders. Now a little, little you know, backdrop here. The expression leaders encompasses now elders, shepherds, overseers. Okay, we recognize that. In fact, if you go to verse 24, you will notice in Hebrews 13 verse 24, the two categories. There are leaders and then there's the rest of the church. And so clearly he's writing here to that category of spiritual leadership and also then to the rest of that church. Now the word obey is a strong word and trips many people up. Okay, so we need to, we need to think through what is actually going on here. But the word obey here, patho, literally means to be continually persuaded. It's a word that is always used in reference to a verbal proclamation or argument. Okay? So this is, this is how the word is used in its Greek context. So the idea being communicated here is that the sheep are required to constantly allow the teaching and counsel of the, their elders to be very persuasive in their hearts and lives. They are allowing they're permitting, just like you are right now, sitting under the ministry and the preaching and the teaching of God's word, you're saying, I want to allow that in my life. I want to welcome that in my life. I want that to be a means by which I am coming um, under the care and the, 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 the guidance and the counsel of these leaders. I, they, they are doing it to me, and I'm allowing it to happen. So the word obey also recognize this, is in the middle voice in the Greek, which simply means this, that it's, it, it's, it's 
something that is in the passive sense, which means it's not something that I do, it's something that is done to me. So the idea here then is this, um, allowing yourselves to be persuaded, that's the idea of this obey, allow yourself by the ministry of the word to be persuaded by those who are your elders, shepherds, overseers. Okay. Now look back at verse 7, where the writer turns the reader's attention to the leaders of the past. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. What did those leaders do? What was the one mark of their activity with the sheep? Who spoke to you what? The word of God. So he's speaking of the believer's responsibility to cling to the teaching of their former leaders who are likely dead. And now, specifically, rather than being, verse 9, led away by diverse and strange teachings, they are now, in the same way uh, as they were remembering their former leaders, to also receive the words of their present leaders, and to do that with joy, and to do that eagerly. So this command to obey the leaders contains an unmistakable emphasis on the authority of their words in our lives. So... It's not so much, for example, this morning, it's not so much that Rod is saying something to our church family today. What is the point? That Rod is hopefully the vehicle through which God's word is being made known to you this morning. So it's not so much, well, Rod said X, Y, and Z. It's that God says X, Y, and Z. I remember years ago, when I was ministering in, in Buffalo as a youth pastor, um, this was the era of Bill Gothard. You guys, some of you may remember Bill Gothard. And I remember conversations in church meetings that say, well, this is what we believe. And, of course, there was always a group that would say, well, Bill Gothard says. Well, Bill Gothard says, and Bill Gothard says. And it just kind of got tired of saying, all right, Bill Gothard says. Now, he may have had a lot of good things to say, and he may not have, depending on your opinion, right? But ultimately, what's important what does God's word say? Okay? And so we want to make sure that we're recognizing that to put ourselves under that kind of leadership and teaching is to also put ourselves under the ministry and the teaching of the word of God. Now, there's a qualifier here. This does not mean that we are required to completely, unquestionably, with, uh, or to comply, I should say, unquestionably with everything and anything they tell us to do because there may be some things that Someone in leadership will tell you that is not accurate, that is not helpful, that isn't necessarily right. Turn, actually I think you have it in your hand out there, turn to John chapter 3, sorry, 3 John and verses 9 through 11. Because in this particular little letter, John is writing to Gaius and he's telling him to disobey Diotrephes, who more than likely, as best we can tell, was in a position of spiritual leadership at that point in time. Okay? He says now, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts 
uh, them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And so from this passage, we realize that God is teaching us that God doesn't want us to obey church leaders if they tell us to do evil. All right? He wants us to do obey when they are telling us to do good. And of course, that means that we have to be discerning, that we, we have to have the, the ability to understand God's word and to study God's word and to be able to, to, to question whether or not what is being taught is right. That's just kind of a Berean attitude, right? You've heard about the Bereans in the book of Acts. They, they, weren't, they weren't satisfied by saying, you know, we're just going to take what you say and that's it. No, they listened. And they listened, and they went home, and they opened up the scriptures, and they found out for themselves that what was said is actually true. And we should all be doing that. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why we have home group. You know, probably over the, the course of the last two years, I have said something that may not be exactly right. Believe it or not, I know. And it's one of those hard things to imagine, right? No, of course, because I'm human. I'm fallible. And we want to be able to have some freedom to interact on those things. Okay? Rather than saying, well, I'm the teaching pastor, everything I say, you know, oh, come on. It's my responsibility, it's my role, it's my calling. But you know what? I'm human, I'm frail. I may say things that may not make sense. Well, I probably say a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense. But, you know, th there's some things you can, like, oh, we need some clarity on that. Or that just sounded wrong. Now, here are some, some questions to help us in determining whether we should obey our leaders or not. Okay? Question number one. Is your concern a matter of conscience or merely preference? So if we come to the place after a time of saturated study in God's word and we are firmly convinced from scripture that what we have been hearing from our leaders is false, uh, we, we, we may have good grounds to reason um, and to, to follow our conscience rather than their words. All right, is it a matter or is, it, is the concern a matter of conscience or preference? And the, friends, there's so many, uh, so many people that are struggling in churches right now, not out of conscience, but out of preference, right? I mean, just throw out some things, you know, style of music, time the church starts, how long the pastor preaches, the color of the carpet. We don't, fortunately, have any carpet here. The shine of the, of the you know, whatever it might be, Right? I mean, these are they're all preference things, and someone has to make a decision, and, and you know, in the context of a church, you let those people that make those decisions make the decisions, because you're coming here to worship, all right? Now, a word of caution here. The conscience is only as good as the knowledge that your mind possesses. In other words, if you do not read God's word, then your conscience is not going to be taught by God's word to be sensitive to know what is true and what is not true. So just to say, well, my conscience is going to be my guide. Well, your conscience may be your guide and your conscience may be faulty because you have not fed your conscience the truth of God's word. Okay? All right? Um, this also means that our emotions and feelings are not the issue. And just hear this. You might feel that something is right, but it's actually wrong. You might feel that something is wrong, but it's actually right. And unfortunately, in our sinfulness, our emotions often point us away from our obedience rather than toward it. 
Also, we must be careful not to confuse the convictions of our conscience with our preferences. And so we kind of go back to that thing, okay? Are these preferences, or is this really an issue of conscience? Friends, that's, that's really important, all right? Secondly, um, is, is their leadership causing me to sin, or is it confronting my sin? Now, friends, if I'm up here and I'm opening the Word of God, what's ultimately going to happen? as it relates to your sin. Hopefully, you're going to be confronted. What do you mean? Hopefully, you actually want me to be confronted where my sin? No, that's what God says he will do when the word of God goes out. So, of course. But we're living in an age where people do not want to be confronted with their sin, right? So is their leadership causing you to sin, or is it confronting your sin? You might get upset with leadership, because they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. Because they're calling a spade a spade. Because they're revealing what you're thinking and what you're doing as sin, and you do not want to submit to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And of course, you're going to attack the people that are going to be giving the message. So you've got to be careful here. Is, is their leadership causing you to sin, or is it confronting your sin? Third thing here, is the leadership issuing commands or merely offering counsel. That's a huge difference between a command and a counsel, right? The main thrust of the passage is that the leaders, elders here, are opening up God's word, teaching, explaining it, and pressing it home on the sheep. They may give illustrations or examples to help us understand what's going on in our hearts, but we must be careful. We must avoid the dangerous tendency, and hear this, to allow our leaders to do all of our thinking for us. For example, um, young girl interested in getting married goes in to see one of the elders, meet with, with an elder. Do you think I should marry X person? In some churches, honestly, in some contexts, you don't marry that person unless you get approval. Now, there's the whole thing over there, whether they're believer or not believer, that, that, that's a whole other issue. But the point is, how much control is that leadership going to have on, on decisions that you're making day in and day out? Or is it counsel? Well, my answer to that girl would be, well, let's talk about this person's relationship with God. Let's talk about this, you know, whether or not they are actually a believer. But you're counseling versus commanding. Big difference, right? And there's a, there's a need for elders shepherds to counsel. There's a need for elders and shepherds to say, well, listen, this is what God's word says, so you're going to have to wrestle with this truth. But I'm not like here, okay, I'm going to bless this thing. And, you know, I've said, oh, he said it, I can, okay. That means it's okay, it's right. No, 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 no. We've got to be careful, right? Is this a command or is this counsel? Now, the book of Proverbs gives us guidance as to the importance of godly counsel. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So getting counsel is a good thing. Seeking the counsel and advice of our elders is a good thing, but we must also be willing to think for ourselves. And I think a good elder is going to say, listen, here's, here's the scenario, here's the truth. Now, you ultimately have to be the person that makes the decision. I can't make this decision for you. You can't get into the middle of your marriage and say, 
Pastor Rod, you said marry this person. Why did you do that? No, you ultimately said that's what you believe God wanted you to do, right? We've got to make sure that we are thinking for ourselves. And guys, our desire and our joy and our goal here is to equip the saints for life so that they have the capacity and the tools to make decisions for themselves that glorify God and conform to his word. So, we embrace their authority, first of all, through our obedience. Secondly, we embrace their authority through our submission. Now, these two words, obey and submit, are actually very similar words. So why is the writer using both? Is he, just, is he being redundant? Is he repeating for emphasis? Well, th there's a nuance here, and that's this. We talked a little bit about it. To obey was passive. It's something that is being done to you. To submit here is active. It's something then that you choose to do. It's something that you must do. It's, it's a command here for you to do something. Literally, it means that we are to yield or to place ourselves under. So in other words, we must be diligently and continually devoting ourselves to the process of placing ourselves under our leaders. Again, the qualifier is we're not saying we do that and whatever they say, you know, we'll jump and we'll move and, you know, this is not some basketball coach that's yelling out saying jump and do 20 ja jumping jacks and you have to do it. Or, you know, it's, you're placing yourself under. Why? Because you realize the greater paradigm of God's truth and his church and how it all works together. All right? A sheep is going to place himself under a shepherd. Why? Because it's a good thing to do. Because if you don't do that, you're in dangerous territory. Well, I just want to be a rogue sheep. Yeah, you'll be a dead sheep pretty fast. You need a shepherd. Okay? And, you know, that's, that's, that's humbling, isn't it? To say, you know what? We need shepherds. But we do. And that's the paradigm that God has given us. And that's, that's what he is communicating to us. It's also easy to be passive, isn't it? It means that we only respond when they take an interest in us. But the word here means that we must be at work and be actively seeking to be submissive. So what does that look like? And so I want us to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 12 and 13 in particular. And let's just see what Paul then says in this passage about the responsibility of the sheep to those leaders. We ask you, brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So here we have this, this group of leaders, these elders. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. So there's three things that flow out of this passage that I think are very, very helpful as it relates to how do we submit. Number one, we submit... Um, well, we, we, we embrace their authority through submission. The question here is, do you know your leaders? The idea of do you, do you, you know, respect those who labor among you is the idea of, of knowing them, the idea of interacting with them. It's a knowledge that leads you to the place of appreciation and respect. It's a knowledge that has come to know their worth as elders, as leaders. It's a knowledge... Um, that recognizes how they labor for the flock. And so, friends, it's really, really important that we ask ourselves the question, do we know our leaders? Are 
American church paradigm is, for the most part, there is a pastor who oversees a church. He is the one who does all those churchy things. If I'm in the hospital, who do I expect to be there? Pastor. Someone dies, who do I expect to officiate at the funeral? Pastor, right? Um, if I have a problem and I can't fix my car, I can call my pastor because he should come because he is a servant to me, right? I mean, he's full-time, and what does he do? He speaks for an hour on Sunday. Come on, right? Now, there is this, there's this attitude that is part of, the, part of the, you know, the, the, the DNA of the church in America that, that kind of has, a, has a, an understanding that the pastor is our paid spiritual leader. And what we're trying to show from Scripture is that that paradigm is not biblical. That the paradigm that God reveals here is a plurality of elders, and not only that, those, those elders are there for the spiritual care and oversight. This week, I won't get into the details, but I was so encouraged by some particular people in our church family that met some particular need of another family and communicated with me as the teaching pastor and said, hey, this is going on, pray for me. And I'm kind of wrestling with this whole thing, you know, I'm the pastor, should I go, that kind of stuff. It's like, no, these people are, 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 are able, they're, they're, they're wise, they can go, and God's going to work through them. And hearing back from them afterwards, like, you know, it was great, God was able to do this, God was able to do this. Now, friends, it's, see, it's the church that ministers to one another, it's not just the elders or the teaching pastor that ministers to everyone in the church. We minister to one another. That's a healthy church. Okay? And we need to be careful that we're not putting all that on those who are in that place of spiritual leadership. Now, I'm not saying that those people in that place of spiritual leadership shouldn't do anything of those, uh, shouldn't do any of that. If you're in the hospital, I'm more than likely going to come and visit you if I am aware of it. Right? But the thing is, sometimes we get all bent out of shape. Well, the pastor didn't come. Well, could be there were other things going on, and there were 10 other people from the church that showed up and encouraged you, and they contacted him and assured him that you were doing fine, and that's the church, okay? Secondly, not only know your leaders, um, do you esteem your leaders? Do you esteem your leaders? It doesn't say, do you steam your leaders? <laughs> Key letter there is right? Do you esteem your leaders? It says, esteem them very highly. So where would you put that on the scale of esteeming? That's a pretty, pretty high esteem, right? A very high esteem, all right? In love because of their work. Literally, it means to think the world of them. Now, I'm not, my, my goal here is not to kind of spank you into submission so that you'll do this, all right? You understand that. We're just unpacking what Scripture says here. There is a respect, there's a love, there's an appreciation, there is this, this esteeming and love of who they are and what they're called to. And the motivation for your high esteem is the work that they are doing for you and in you for God. Do you esteem them? Thirdly, do you live at peace with your leaders? It says be at peace with your leaders. With, among yourselves. Are you in conflict with your leaders? Are you fighting with them? Now, there's a human reality that you will at some time disagree with your leaders about something, right? The question now is, 
How are you going to respond? What's your attitude going to be? How are you going to relate, relate to them? And will your relationship look like the reality that is here in verse 13? So you embrace their authority, first of all, by being obedient, secondly, by being submissive. The third thing, though, is here, through your understanding. There's some, there's some stuff that's given to us here that really helps us understand what's going on. And so what is it that we're to understand? Verse 17 again, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are, what, keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So the first thing we need to recognize here is that they are responsible for you. They are keeping watch over your souls. That expression, keeping watch, flashes us back to Ezekiel chapter 3 in verse 16 and following, where it talks about this watchman on the wall of a city looking out for enemies. Now, we, we're re really not living in a culture that recognizes that. Um, if you, if you want to go, you know, go visit San Francisco for a day, you can go across the Golden Gate Bridge and go under the little loop and climb up to the top, and you can see the, you can see the San Francisco from the, uh, what, the northern side and look back. But you'll also notice that there's a whole bunch of gunneries up there, right, that are built there. Why? To watch and make sure that the enemy didn't come into the bay. A watchman would stand on the top of a city wall, and there'd be lots of them around the place watching to make sure if the, if the enemy was coming or if there was danger coming that they could tell people to be ready. And so what's going on here is that they are responsible for you in the same sense that they are watchmen looking and being careful to protect those that are under their care. And the, the passage there in Ezekiel chapter 3 goes on and tells us that if the watchman fails in his duty to warn the looming, of the looming dangers and the people die, their blood will be upon his hands. They are responsible for those who are there in the city. In the same sense, these elders are responsible for those that are part of the flock. They have a responsibility for you. That's the first part. We need to understand the weight of that responsibility. Secondly, they are accountable to God. The priority of every pastor or elder or shepherd or church leader is to care for the spiritual welfare of the congregation. They will one day stand before God and have to give an account of the way they represented Christ as the head of the church. Now, friends, that is a very sobering reality and a very sobering responsibility. And if you are not an elder, if you're not a church leader, you do not have to account for that. But those who are in leadership do. So when God looks down at Gateway Bible Church, he's first looking through me and he's looking then also through the other elders that will be overseeing and he's saying, you know what? You are responsible to care for my flock and you are accountable to me. That's no small thing. And friends, that's why it's really important that we must recognize that we can't just play at church leadership. We can't just say, let's get Mr. Clever Businessman to be serving on the board or get you know, Mr. Popular to come and be a part of that. These are very serious roles in the context of the church. And the church must take it seriously and the leaders must take their responsibility before God very seriously. And that's why... The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That was his desire. That was his 
willingness. So, first of all, we embrace their authority. Those words, obey and submit, have a different perspective, hopefully now, for you. Something that's far more achievable, something that does not place me in the context of bondage or abuse, but something that is clearly what God desires for me as an individual in his church to do so that I can be growing to be like his son, Jesus Christ. But secondly, you have a responsibility to encourage their ministry, to encourage these elders in their ministry. It says, verse uh, 13, or verse 17 again, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So let's just kind of work backwards a little bit here. The goal here is that what is done would be for your advantage, right? You want it to be profitable for you. That's the idea behind it. And so there's a responsibility that you have to do what you can to help them to rule, to oversee with joy and satisfaction so that it will not be unprofitable for you, but that it will be profitable for you. So the first thing we're going to look at here that we pull out of this is the disadvantage of groaning, right? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Groaning here is an inner expression or, uh, or, sorry, an inner inexpressed groaning. It is primarily the result of the sheep who are not willing to obey or submit to their leader's God-given responsibility as they shepherd and care for the flock. It is the life and ministry of Jeremiah who I think best exemplifies this groaning. He's known as what? He's the weeping prophet. Why is he the weeping prophet? Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. In fact, I have it there on the screen for you. Jeremiah 9, verse 1. Just, just a little snippet from it, right? Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He's groaning inside because he's speaking for God, but his people will not listen. And in fact, not only will, will not listen, they shake their fist against God and they will not submit to his guidance and his counsel and they turn against him. And he weeps and he groans for the people. And friends, we do not want to be guilty of having elders groan for us. The sounds of groaning can be heard when we are indifferent about the salvation we claim to have. The sounds of groaning can be heard when we sin against Christ and fail to grow in Him as we should. The sounds of groaning can be heard when we bite and devour one another, or when we sow discord among the brethren, or when we listen to false teaching and false teachers without discernment, and we seek counsel from those who are opposed to God and his breathed out word. When, when we take the preaching and teaching of God's word lightly, when we've lost love for the lost, when we don't care for the plight of those suffering. Friends, there's, there's this groaning that goes on where people are just consumed with their own selves and their own stuff and a godly, God-honoring elder is going to, in his heart, just moan and groan for those people who, are, who have lost their way, 
What we want to be doing is seeing the advantage of joy, the advantages of joy. Let them do this with joy. The goal of every church member is that their elder carry out his responsibility with joy. This is how Paul describes it in his letter to the Philippian church. And again, after that, I'm going to go to the first um, Thessalonians. Just listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out, Paul says, as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. There should be joy that is taking place in the context of the body of Christ, both from the leaders as well as those who are part of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, Paul says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. So here you have the heart of one who is this shepherd saying, The flock of God is his joy, is his crown, is what he wants to boast about. There's an advantage of joy. What are the things that bring joy to an elder? I've listed a whole bunch of things up here. You can read them. The sheep bring joy to an elder by believing in Christ, by walking in obedience, by cultivating unity, by praying for them, by expressing love and loyalty to Christ and His church, by seeking the counsel of those who are elders, by receiving their loving reproof with gentleness, by believing the best about their character, their motives, and their decisions, by working beside them in ministry. You might even add a tenth one there, by, by, by working in a godly way when there is a disagreement. These are, all, these are all advantages of joy. And we can summarize what Paul is saying here in these instructions by looking at 1 Thessalonians 5.12. And here's how he puts it. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. See, friends, there's, there's a lot said in Scripture about the responsibility of elders and shepherds, overseers and leaders. But there's also a lot in Scripture that is said about how the sheep are to interact with that leadership. And we all have a responsibility to take on that mantle that God has given us and to make sure that we are embracing the authority that has been delegated to them, as well as encouraging the ministry that God has called them to. So as we close today, I would like for the men to come um, and uh, going to have a, uh, some, the ushers bring uh, a, a trifold handout here that's going to help us a little bit with our understanding of what we're going to be doing next. Try to package all this together 
and um, put in this trifle just kind of an explanation of where we've gone on each Sunday. There's a, there's a strong emphasis here in this trifold on the, um, on the, the qualifications for an elder. In fact, can you give me one, please? Thank you. Um, we have three very, very lovely pictures, I might add, of uh, the three prospective elders. Um, and I, I was thinking about this morning, um, one without hair, one with very thick hair, and another one with really funky hair. Um, so um, this is a good way to remember it. If you can't remember their name, you can at least remember their hair. Um, and you know what? It's, it, you know what? It's, it's, good. it's good to laugh, right? I mean, it's, it's good to say this is serious, but we can also do this in a way that's just, this is part of our responsibility. This is part of our joy. Um, let me just briefly walk you through this. Um, we've gone through this series looking at eldership. I've summarized that, points one through seven. Um, and just read verse uh, number seven, not verse seven, but number seven. Having carefully assessed, affirmed, and commissioned these men, prospective elders, the flock is to graciously and lovingly obey, submit to, and encourage these elders as they seek to honor God and care for the flock. That's ultimately where we want to go. Okay, and so there's a process here. Having identified and observed the prospective elders, we want to take uh, the months of November and December to do some final evaluation and interaction. We want to make sure that it is clear that this process and the establishing of biblical eldership is a Godward priority that must be taken seriously and pursued with a humble biblical caution. So we're asking for your participation, prayer, and affirmation. We're also making, it, making the assumption that unless we receive a concern from one of you that sticks, that goes to qualification, the general one, the above approach, unless we get a concern from one of you that sticks, you are affirming with Pastor Rod that these men are qualified to serve you as elders. Let me just kind of walk you back. So January of 2012, I presented to you, and I told you before that I was praying about some specific men that were part of our leadership that I believe that um, were qualified to be presented as elders, but we weren't going to kind of just grandfather them in as a church plant. We needed to make sure that we went through a process with them so they could be observed and they could develop in their ministries and we could see them do that. And, and we've had like 22 months now where you've had the opportunity to do that. At that time, I said to you, if you have a concern, please put it in writing with your name signed and submit it to me and I will take it seriously. I'll interact with you and find out if there's anything that, that needs to be done or if this person should or should not be continuing, it, continuing in this capacity, okay? So it's, it's been a long time, right? And what we're doing right now is saying, let's, let's just kind of ramp it up a little bit more and say, you know, we have two more months where we're looking at these men and we're asking ourselves the question, is this what God desires so that come January we can actually have a day, a Sunday set aside where we can affirm these men? If there is nothing received, then the assumption is what? that you are in agreement, okay? And so after, afterwards, then say, well, I really didn't think that person should have been blah, blah, blah. Hey, none of that. That's gossip, if that's the case, because you've had plenty of time. And in fact, one of the questions would be that I would ask, and I think that's down here. That's no, not. It would be one that isn't there. If you are actually going to submit a letter, um, and if you have a concern, I want you to do that. But one of the questions would be, why is it taking you so long? 
okay? And it could be, oh, it's something that just came up last week. Okay, fine. It could be your own laziness. Be honest about that, okay? But look at the questions here. And these are just questions of caution. This is not saying don't do this, but if you have a genuine concern, here are the questions. Is my concern a matter of feeling or fact? I just feel that this person really, well, your feeling may not be right, okay? Is it feeling or fact? Is my concern the result of gossip or is it slander? Well, I heard someone say that this person was, ah, well, what is that? <laughs> you heard. So you heard. What should you do when you hear what other people say about someone else that tears them down? Um, what is that? We call that gossip. Actually, it could be slander, okay? So you have to deal with that. Has this person been approached biblically about this concern, to your knowledge? If so, when and by whom? Do you believe, oh, sorry, do you need to approach, are you the one that needs to approach the individual because you believe they have sinned against you? What makes this concern a matter of disqualification? Now, all I'm trying to do there is to say, listen, I want you to think through why you want to submit a letter first. If there is legitimate grounds, all right, if there is something, we talked last time about the qualification above approach, the kind of general one, you throw it against the wall, if it sticks, then it's something we need to pay attention to. If it doesn't stick, you know what? Um, then we, we address it and say, you know what, that was a concern, we've looked at it, there doesn't seem to be any substance to it, and we are, we are okay to move on. All right, and if you, if you send me a letter, I will do all I can, in fact, I will commit to you to contact you and talk to you about it and give you some counsel as to what to do next, okay? And it may mean that we need to talk to that individual, that particular candidate, okay? All right, are you with me there? I'm just trying to be honest. If you were the person that was being considered right now, you would want people to deal with you fairly. And I think there's legitimacy to what's going on here, all right? Now, there's the wonderful pictures of our three candidates. You can read about them. Uh, if you don't know who they are, um, they are in this room right now. Um, then you have uh, this, this whole list here of the qualifications. Uh, consider the person's calling, their character, and then ultimately their confirmation. Ultimately, when these men are brought into eldership, they are being confirmed, yes, by me, but they're being confirmed by our church family by virtue of a process that we've been through together. You've had the opportunity to see their lives, their character on display, even to, to sit under their teaching and ministry at different times. Um, or maybe you haven't because you've chosen not to. Okay? Um, but there's a process that is here, right? Now, there's that also in the bulletin you noted, and Matt mentioned it, that next Sunday and the following Sunday and the following Sunday, we're going to have some interviews with these guys. I'll be emceeing them and talk a little bit about that. This is not an opportunity to give them the question that no one can ever ask so that we can stump them. This is an opportunity to, to, to learn from them and to grow from them. And the reality is for the meat and potatoes of our church family, I don't know who the meat is, I don't know who the potatoes are, but from the meat and potatoes of our church family, if you have questions you don't have to wait for a Q&A time. You pick up the phone, you say, I want to have coffee. And some of these guys have already had that with some people in our church who are saying, I want to hear these questions answered. It's a good thing, right? All right? So I wanted to make sure, fleshed out of what we're talking today, you as a church family have a responsibility. And your responsibility might simply be saying, God, I, I'm praying about this. I don't see anything. I think this is right. I think these men are great. Um, I, I'm affirming it. I'm going to be a part of the process. And so when we actually finally come to the place where there's a commissioning service, um, you will have been a part of the process. And this will be a church doing this together. You with me there? 
All right? We want to make sure we're doing it appropriately and with great biblical caution. All right? Secondly, um, something that we, we haven't touched on incredibly, but I think is helpful for us right now, and it just happens to fit in with what we're doing. Um, let's remember that elders are not the head of the church. Who's the head of the church? Jesus is the head of the church. All right? And because he is the head, he has given the church the gift of elders who are to speak for him, to point to him, to be accountable to him. Any, any counsel, any guidance, any direction an elder gives should reflect whom? Christ. But the elders are not Christ. And they're not trying to be Christ. But they're trying to carry out their God-given responsibility for him. For you. Does that make sense? All right? So with that in mind... Um, we need to take a few moments here and to realize that all that we've been talking about is the result, is the outflow, is the blessing and benefit that we receive as a result of what Jesus Christ has done for us on his cross. The church would not exist. Eldership would not be conceived of. We would not be gathering together like this if it were not for the Lord Jesus Christ and his bloody sacrifice on the cross. And so let's just pause for a moment. I'm going to allow the, the band to move up here. We're going to take some time to celebrate the Lord's table. And this is an opportunity to remind yourselves of who you are in Christ. To go back to that, that beginning moment when, when God breathed new life into you. And as the reality of, of his sacrifice and his gift of himself for you settled in your heart. Now looking back on that, just, just praising him for his goodness and reminding yourself of your need of him, not just then, but even now. So let's just pause for a moment of prayer. Lord, we are in awe that you would call us to yourself. We're in awe, Lord, that you called us to yourself before you even created the world. That you established that and, and that you had us in your heart all along and it's amazing to, to, to embrace that reality but Lord, that's what you say in your word that you did. And Lord, ultimately you did that through the sending of your son Jesus Christ to be a sacrifice once for all. And Lord, today we want to remind ourselves again of, the, of the, the beauty and the majesty and the glory of that sacrifice and the effect that it has had on us as individuals and as a church family. Lord, we are humble before you, thankful, amazed, because your grace is, is truly just something that we cannot comprehend. And yet, Lord, at the same time, we receive it with joy. And we are thankful for it. So Lord, help us today not just to take the elements in a ritualistic way, but Lord, help us to take them, Lord, in a way that expresses our heart gratitude and our praise for what you have done for us when we deserve to be the ones on that cross. Lord, we, we want to praise you today. Thank you so much for your goodness. In your name, amen. Let us stand.